And Lord, you are beautiful and precious and wonderful and holy and faithful and and glorious, Lord. And we are so blessed, again, to be able to have intimate fellowship with you. Lord, when we think of you and think of the things you've done for us and your incredible grace, so quickly the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes on you, to be passionate about you, and be a reflection of you to a world that desperately needs you. Lord, we pray as we go to your word right now that you would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. And pray it would not be the words of men, but the word of God which is spoken by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Good to see you again, as it always is. Turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 6. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Let me encourage you to read 2 Timothy chapter 2 for Sunday. We'll be picking up where we left off last week. A couple things real quick. Do be, uh, be praying for Carrie. I don't know if many of you know Carrie Wheeler, our, our, one of our missionaries in Africa. She is going to be coming home. She'll be home in about a week or so. So just be praying for traveling mercies for her as she comes home. And uh, we don't know, she may be here for a while. She's just praying about what God would have her do next. And continue to pray for the rest of the missionaries we support with Gospel for Asia, um, the Bridge of Hope children. You know, sometimes out of sight, out of mind. As I mentioned on, on Sunday, Lori Lee, a woman who worked at Baymont with my wife. Uh, we have common, our children are common friends. Her husband died four years ago of a heart attack. He was a firefighter. He died on the job. And then she's been diagnosed now with cancer and been given literally just a few months to live, and they say it's incurable. And she has three uh, children. Now, they're, little, they're 21, 18, and 15. But I ran into her, and she's praying for a miracle, and our God's in the miracle business. Amen? Amen. I'm just praying that God's going to heal her, that He might be glorified through it. She's not worried about herself. She's got a total peace about herself, but she does, as any mom would, have a burden for her kids. Continue also to pray for Scott Lumley up in upstate New York kind of a sister church of ours up there, be praying for them and their ministry. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 6. Now we're going to continue to look tonight at the mishandling of the ark. If you've been coming, remember that the ark of God was in the Holy of Holies. It was to be covered except for when it was used. And when it, won, when it was used, it was inside. There was a veil that was there. Only the high priest went in only once a year and only on the Day of Atonement. But sadly, because of what was happening in Israel, everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. The corruption didn't just impact the people, but it had reached the priesthood. To the point where even the high priest himself and his children were outside of God's will and were being disobedient to God. They turned the tabernacle into a place of mockery. There was no reverence for God and His commands. The priests were sleeping with women who came to make sacrifices They were fleecing the flock and taking more than their share of the sacrifice, taking even that which belonged to God. And people began to resent the entire sacrificial system. They wanted no part of it due to the ungodly actions of the priests. And there's a great word for pastors today, that people are turned away from God because of the actions of men. And something we certainly see in the world today where people have been turned off to God due to ungodly actions on the part of those who represent Him. Televangelists who are all about money, motivated by their own pursuits of worldly fame and riches, who've contorted and misinterpreted Scripture to be a way of being fed themselves. This is exactly what's happening. There's nothing new under the sun. This is what's happening in Israel today. The people were ungodly, but their leaders were ungodly. You know, sometimes we think it's the, the people are ungodly because the leaders are ungodly, and that may be true. But sometimes it's the other way around. And we see the parallels between the treatment of the ark and the place of sacrifice and the representation of God's glory in those days and how people see the cross today. When the ark's lost significance, Israel began to fail. When they no longer saw the sacrifice as being significant, their walk with God faltered. And today we see the same thing happening with two things I believe the ark points to, both the cross of Christ and the Word of God. And as those things are being downplayed and lessened in their importance, so too the church is falling away from God. 
The ark had moved from a, a revered place in God's dwelling and a holy sacrifice being necessary to atone for man's sin to almost nothing more than a good luck charm. Because we saw what happened. They got in a battle and they decided, well, let's take the ark with us. As long as we have the ark out in front of us, God will have to bless us because that's his ark and that's where his, God, his glory dwells. And in a way, it almost reminds me of people today who wear a, a cross around their neck and view it as some kind of superstitious good luck charm. Now, wearing a cross is a good thing if we wear, wear it for the right reason. Amen? If when we look at it, it's a reminder to us of the cross of Calvary and the fact that Jesus died for my sins and with, without Him I'd be eternally separated from Almighty God. I have a cross hanging around my rearview mirror just to be reminded of that as I'm driving in my car. But if we think of putting on a cross, and I've had people want to bless a cross. Could you bless my cross, Pastor? I'm like, not so much. I can pray for you. You know what I mean? Because, guys, it's not even the cross itself that did anything for us. Do you understand that? It's not the wood of the cross that did it. It was Jesus going on the cross that made it significant. Amen? And we see that that ark had become a relic, and we see those same things happening in the world today where we're turning things that should be significant in our walk with God into nothing more than a, a, a form of religious jewelry. Remember it said they put their faith in it instead of in Him. Don't put your faith in anything but Christ. Amen? Not even, now I, this is going to shock the tar out of you, but we don't put our faith in this book, the actual book and the pages and the letters. Amen? You don't sleep, I'll put it under my pillow, I'll be safe at night. I've had people do that. Or get a really big Bible. I'm like, you know, that will protect you if you hit someone with it, you know? <laughs> But the point is, it's not the book that, that protects you. It's the words in the book that are living and breathing that God speaks to us through. Amen? Amen. So it's not holding on to a relic. And see, this is what has happened to the ark. It's gone from being the place where God's glory dwelt to being nothing more than a relic that represented religion that they thought would bring them some kind of power. And again, we need to make sure we don't see anything of God as... A good luck charm. And amazing, you know, you watch TV programs, they hold up a cross, right? You know, the, 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 you know, the whatever, vampires are coming. Hold up the cross, everybody runs away. And you know, the point is, we need to be magnifying Jesus and drawing people unto Him, not pushing them away. Amen? And so we need to point people to the Lord. Now, the result of making the ark a relic was a resounding defeat. As soon as they turned it into something where they were manipulating God with it, they got wiped out. Now, the Philistines captured it, and when they captured it, being idolaters, they just thought, well, now we've got, we've captured the God of Israel. We've got their God. And we're going to put their God in our, you know, temple with Dagon, and then we'll have more gods. And if we put, da if we put Dagon above him, then... We don't prove that our God's better than their God, and Dagon will be submitting to their God. Now, even in a time when nobody's walking with God, outside of maybe Samuel and his family and a few others, we don't see a whole lot of representation of people walking with the Lord at this point, but God is still going to be God no matter what. If everybody on this planet turned their back on God, he'd still be God, because he's still in control and he's still faithful. And Dagon found out quickly the block of wood or whatever it was made out of that was there. Because they put the ark there and they came in the next day and their God had fallen down. Now if your God can fall down, that's not good. So they put their God back up. He needed help getting up. Not much of a God if he needs help to get back up. Let me help you back up. They helped their God back up. What did he do the next day? He fell down again and his head fell off. Now if your God's head and hands can fall off, not much of a God. And they soon realized, well, that didn't get their attention. They should have been repenting right there. So God, it says in the text, struck them with hemorrhoids. That's the real word in Hebrew. Hemorrhoids. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. So they got hemorrhoids, and they've got to be thinking constantly, realization. And then there was a plague. So these tumors or this plague, either the bubonic plague or hemorrhoids, depending on on, you know, there's rats we're going to see in this chapter. Some believe that points to the bubonic plague. But in either case, this great plague came upon them, and this great trophy all of a sudden wasn't such a great trophy anymore. All of a sudden they thought, you know, we had two gods, and, you know, our, our god Dagon never bothered us with hemorrhoids before. So we think we like Dagon better, and we're not going to repent. And so what we're going to do is we're going to send the ark down to another city. 
And every city that it went to, the same thing happened. So that brings us to to tonight's chapter, where they've been passing this hot potato of an ark around for seven months, and everywhere it goes, it's causing trouble. And again, that's not unlike the cross of Calvary. Because here's the point, you guys. The enemy thought he had the great victory when they got a hold of the ark, just like Satan thought he had won a great victory when Jesus died on the cross. And what the Philistines did not understand is they were bringing God into their camp, and he was going to bring vengeance. And what Satan didn't understand, because he's not God or anywhere close, is that was the greatest victory of all time, not the greatest defeat. And he found out three days later, Satan, you're not in charge, I am. Amen? And God was in charge, and God was in control, and he continues to be. He triumphed over sin and death. So here we have the Philistines, and and they don't know what to do with the ark. They're, you know, they're trying to now at this point, as we're going to see tonight's text, get rid of it. And that's what I talked about last week, is how in the world we live in today, the Word of God brings conviction, so get it out of the school. A cross brings conviction, so get them out of the public square. A nativity scene, that convicts me, so let's remove those completely. At one point, my kids were going to a Christian school, and they told them they couldn't wear Christian t-shirts to a Christian school because some of the kids weren't Christians. And I lined up all my kids and said, we're going to go buy you a bunch of Christian t-shirts, and that's all you're wearing from now on. And I can't wait for the principal to call me and tell me my kids can't wear Christian t-shirts to Christian school. He never called me. Never happened. Blows my mind. But here's the point. May we not back away or water it down. That's what's happening. And here we are with the ark. Let's get rid of it. Let's move it on because we don't want to have to face the fact that God is real. So tonight's text, we're going to continue to see the mishandling of the ark. If you're a note taker, I title the message, Physical Relief or Spiritual Restoration. What is it that we are pursuing as Christians today? Fleshly comfort or right standing before God? Many of those who call themselves Christians today see God's greatest role in their lives is to bless them with physical comfort. And the truth is that God will never feed nor comfort your flesh. Let me tell you that again. God will never feed nor comfort your flesh. The Bible says we're to put our flesh to death daily. Amen? That was kind of weak. Nobody really liked that, I guess. The Bible says we're to put our flesh to death daily. And our flesh wants to rise up and God will never feed your flesh. He will never satisfy your flesh and your flesh will never be satisfied. The truth is God will never feed it nor comfort it, but commands that we die to it. So he came that you might have life and life more abundant. That is absolutely true. But we need to understand that it's not about our physical comfort, but God being glorified. So physical relief or spiritual restoration, that's the title of the message. Here are the points. What happens when we look at life from a physical perspective? Five things we're going to see in tonight's text. Number one, we desire to rid ourselves of the very one who can save us. We start looking at things from a physical perspective. We want to get rid of the very one who can save us. Number two, we seek not restoration and redemption for sin, but a removal of its consequences. When we are looking at things from a physical perspective, all we want is the consequences to go away, not to learn what God wants to teach us through the trial. When we look at things from that physical perspective, we just want to escape. We just want to get out of it. And you know what? I would say 80% of the time when I'm talking to somebody on the phone and they're in despair... It's constantly, more, more times than not, I just want to escape my, conse- my circumstances. We need to understand that God knows what He's doing. Amen? Even when things are bad, God knows what He's doing. Number three, when you look at things from a physical perspective instead of a spiritual one, you test God instead of trusting Him. You test Him instead of trusting Him. Number four, you refuse to believe even after God supernaturally proves himself. We're going to see that in tonight's text. God is going to prove himself to be God. There's no denying it, and people will still reject it. Boy, don't we see that in the world today. And then lastly, we act contrary to God's clear command. So let's begin in verse 1. Physical relief or spiritual restoration. What happens when we look at life from a physical perspective? Look what it says there in verse 1. Now the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. So for seven months, the Philistines were afflicted by God. They thought they had had won a great victory. They thought they had proved they were superior. Their God was superior to the God of Israel. And I have to confess to you, I'm blown away that they hung on to the thing for seven months. 
I can't figure out why it wasn't seven days and they got rid of it. Because can you imagine you bring it in and all your gods start falling over and everybody's struck with hemorrhoids and then rats overrun the, the, the cities and people are coming down with either the bubonic plague or just the hemorrhoids themselves. So there's a plague in the land ever since you brought the ark in. Now if that happens, you got one or two choices. Get rid of the ark or get right with God. And what really what this was an opportunity to do is get right with God. You know what? Dagon is a dead God. And we need to just walk away from Dagon. That should have been... You'd think one person would have thought of that. You know, Dagon fell down, head fell off. Not so much. You know, maybe this Ark of the Covenant God is the real God. Maybe we need to look into Him a little bit. Why don't we go get some of the priests from Israel and ask them some questions? But sadly, Israel themselves had fallen away from the Lord. You know why they held on to this so long? So prized a trophy in their minds was having the Ark that they tried to figure out a way to hang on to it. So they just kept passing it from city to city, hoping that it would land somewhere where they'd be able to hang on to this God of Israel, this ark. Finally, after every city had been plagued and tumors were upon all the Philistines, they realized this isn't working out so well. Maybe we need to get rid of this thing. And so seven months have gone by, and look at verse 2. And the Philistines called for the priest and the diviners. Now, this is a mistake. Your God fell over and his head fell off, so go get his priests and ask them what they think. That's a good idea. Now, the Bible tells us to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen? The word for diviner there is soothsayer. So let's get the soothsayers and the priests of Dagon and ask them what we ought to do. Now, as Christians, we need to make sure that we don't seek counsel from people that don't know God. Now, Pastor Dave, what are you trying to say? Let me make it very clear to you. The Word of God is very clear. There's one counselor, his name is Jesus. Amen? If someone doesn't know God, they have no counsel for you. None. Well, I don't care. Oh, they got degrees. So what? They're spiritually dead. Amen? Now, that's pretty direct, huh? Here's the point, guys. Why would we turn to a man who has studied the words of men who didn't know God instead of just turning to God himself? Why wouldn't we just turn to the Lord? Guys, go to God before you go to anybody else. God should not be the last resort. He should be the first choice. Amen? Go to him first. Seek his face first. But sadly, these guys hadn't learned much. The ark was in their presence. And instead of turning to the priest or turning to the true and living God and crying out to Him, they call in the, the priest of Dagon. And again, may we not turn to unsaved friends or co-workers or therapists or whatever, but turn to the true and living God. You know what ungodly counselors love to do? And by the way, when you go to them, a lot of times you're going to like what you hear. You know what? You just need to love yourself more. That's your problem. You just don't love yourself enough. You know what your problem is? You love yourself too stinking much. Amen? Is that true or not? I'm always on my mind. How about you? I'm always thinking about me. I look at everything from my perspective and how it impacts me. Don't you? And so if someone says, yeah, it's all about you. Yeah, it is all about you. Yeah, you're right. Tell me more about that. I want to hear some more of that. The Lord says, die to yourself. And they're saying, esteem yourself. I've even had, I've even had Christians who are taking psychology come and say to me, well, the Bible says we're to love ourselves. And I say, the Bible says in the, in the end times, men will become lovers of themselves. That's what the Bible says. Amen? Let's love Jesus and deny self. They are opposites of one another. What we need to realize is how sinful self is and our desperate need for forgiveness and restoration. So they call on these guys, they bring them in, and then they, he, they ask this question. What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? What are we going to do with this thing? In the midst of great conviction and resulting trials, what in the world are we going to do with this ark? Today the question is, what do we do with the cross of Christ? What do we do with the Word of God? It brings conviction. Opportunity both then and now for confession and repentance. But sadly, the Philistines, like most people today, will see, seek to rid themselves of the source of conviction rather than seek the Lord and get right with Him. Guys, it's been said, and you've all heard it, that sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. And as you spend time in the Word of God, you're going to have an intimate relationship with the Lord, 
And you know what? When temptation comes and the way of escape comes, God's going to strengthen you by His Spirit not to walk in sinful disobedience to Him. But at the same time, if you want to continue to live a sinful lifestyle and not be convicted, you've got to stop reading your Bible. And that's what the enemy wants you to do, isn't it? Hey man, you want to live that lifestyle? Just get rid of the Bible. You won't be so convicted. You know, we've all had this. I'm sure of it. You've all had friends that disappear. And you don't see them for a while. And I have, I have several of them. Some of which I all the way go, go back all the way to my high school years. And I know when I don't see them for months on end, they're up to no good. Because if they see me, they're afraid I might ask them, so how's the walk with the Lord going? Well, uh, uh, you know, they don't want to have to answer that question. And you know what? I'm as susceptible to sin as anybody else, and that's why I want to surround myself with godly people who will keep me accountable, amen? So I want to be in the Word every day so God's conviction and the conviction of His Holy Spirit in my life will keep me heading toward Him and walking with Him. Well, the ark has become a source, a nuisance to them, a source of conviction for them. Let's get rid of it. How can we get rid of it? That's their question. What shall we do to rid ourselves then it says, tell us how we should send it to its place. How, and I, you know, again, they asked the ungodly priest how to get rid of it instead of saying, how can we get right with the true and living God? So number one, what happens when we look at life from a physical perspective? Number one, we desire to rid ourselves of the very one who can save us. Number two, we seek not restoration and redemption, but removal of our consequences. Look at verse three. So they said, if you send away the ark of God of Israel, do not send it empty, but I all means return it with a trespass offering. Now this is amazing. These are the priests of Dagon and they know what a trespass offering is. They understand what a, tre- you know what a trespass offering was? It was a sin offering that had to be, that was made on behalf of the person coming before God to get right with him. Now this is good counsel. The problem is, they know what a sin offering is, but they don't know what a sin offering is. They know that there is such a thing, they understand what it's supposed to do, but they have no clue what the sin offering must be. And so they're going to offer something that's totally contrary to what God would command them to do. They knew enough to know that they had offended the God of Israel. They knew they should do something to express their sorrow. They knew God could be offended. They knew enough of the Old Testament law to know what a trespass offering was. But as we're going to see in a minute, their knowledge, a little knowledge of God can be dangerous. Did you know that? If you only know a little bit of God's Word and you don't understand the context, it can be harmful. How do you think the cult start? So someone takes a little bit of God's Word out of context and runs with it. That's why I need to study the whole counsel of God. That's why I need to be in the Word of God every single day. But sadly, they knew a little bit of the Word, but they knew it out of context, and it's going to be dangerous. The real key is not the willingness to make an offering, but the motivation behind it. Let's take a look. Look what it says. Offer him a trespass offering, then you will be healed. So why are they giving the offering? They want to get rid of the hemorrhoids. This should be a Preparation H offering, right? I mean, they're trying to get rid of the hemorrhoids. They're not really coming broken before God. They're really coming to give God what they think He wants so they can get what they want. Does that not sound like much of the church today? Coming to God, saying, God, I'll give you this because I know if I do, then you'll give me this back. Guys, if we gave God everything we have, including the clothes on our back, we couldn't begin to give Him enough for what He's already given us. Amen? So instead of coming to God and trying to manipulate Him into giving us more stuff, we need to just come to God and say, Lord, I give you my life. It's all yours. And whatever you want to do with it, it belongs to you. Whether they're trying to manipulate, well, we're going to give a trespass offering, then we can be healed. We're going to give a sin offering so we can receive something back from the God of Israel. In the end, we'll see that their real desire is nothing more than the removal of the plague, allowing them to go back to their old pagan life. Again, understand this. Respect for God does not equal repentance. They had a respect for God that, well, okay, He is a God, and in their mind, a God, and so we probably should give Him something so He'll take this trial away from us. 
But respect for God does not equal repentance. Belief in God does not equal repentance. Performing a bunch of religious rituals does not equal repentance. Giving up something for God, having respect for Him, none of those things will save you. None of them. Now, they can be good things, but that's not the source of salvation. For true restoration and a sure redemption to happen, there must be real repentance. Don't take this wrong, but we don't throw God a bone. Here, God, let me give you something. All right, here you go. Let me just throw you a little something to let you know that I respect you. And just in case you really are God, I'll have that counted on my side at some point. That's not Christianity. It's not giving God a little bit of something to let Him know we respect Him. It's laying down our life before Him because we desperately need Him. And what sadly is happening here is the Philistines are not coming broken and desperate and hungry But instead, they're just trying to get rid of the consequences that have happened from their sinful behavior. Look what it says there in the rest of verse 3. It says, Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why His hand is not removed from you. If He accepts the offering and you are healed, then you'll know the source of your suffering came from God. You'll know it was the God of Israel who did it. If you give Him an offering and He accepts it, then you'll know the source of suffering. So, Really what they're doing is just kind of throwing something out there to see if this could relieve them of their trial. Verse 4. Then they said, what is a trespass offering which we shall return to him? Now, I don't have time to go into it, but a trespass offering was a firstborn spotless lamb whose blood had to be shed and its blood poured out on behalf of the one who had sinned. Then the part of the animal was, was burnt up and sacrificed to the Lord, the best of the animal. Now, that was a trespass offering because that trespass offering points to Jesus Christ. Because He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And He is perfect and He is holy and He is faithful. And only He can be the sacrifice. So let's take a look at their idea of a trespass offering. Let's see what they do instead. So here's what they're going to do. What is a trespass? They answered five golden tumors or hemorrhoids and five golden rats. Now that's exactly what God wants. Five golden tumors and five golden rats. Now I've often wondered what in the world does a golden hemorrhoid look like? And I know we're close to Valentine's Day, but guys don't get any ideas, all right? Can you imagine coming home with five golden rats and five golden hemorrhoids and giving them to your wife? I'm just thinking about you, babe. Got your five golden rats and five golden hemorrhoids. But this is what they're giving to God. They're giving to God golden things that represent the consequences of their sin. You know, be, I mean, I find it almost comical because it's so far away from a real trespass offering, but at the same time, it's not far away from what we can do with the Lord ourselves. Sometimes what we do is we try to give God, try to give up something for God to get Him to forgive us for something we've done. You know, Lord, I, I've been diagnosed with lung cancer. I'm going to give you my cigarettes, Lord, so to, to ask you to forgive me. God doesn't, you know, should we quit smoking? Yeah, but you know what? Quitting cigarettes isn't going to save you. Amen? Now, you should quit because your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, but you know what? Gluttony is a sin, too. There are other things that are sin, and sometimes we like to pick on certain things. But can you imagine if you gave God five golden packs of cigarettes? Here, Lord, here's my golden cigarettes. Here's my five golden crack pipes, Lord. I want to give them to you. You know what I mean? My five golden, my five golden lies. You know, my five golden whatever. And that's what they're doing. They're taking the consequences of their sin, covering in gold and giving it back to the Lord. He inflicted them with it because it was consequences of sinful behavior. He doesn't want it back covered in gold. Amen? I don't want it back. I want you to repent. I want you to get right with me. But sadly, we see how we often can try to turn things around and get right with God. You know, five golden-covered mistresses or, or whatever. Whatever the struggle may be, we don't give the sin back to... We come broken before God and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, restore me. While we must turn from our sin as a part of our repentance, we need to learn that it's giving our hearts to the Lord, humble and broken before Him. Notice there are five golden tumors and five golden rats. Now why? According to the number of the lords of the Philistines, 
For the same plague was on all of you and on your lords. They gave five because there was five cities, and all five cities had been infested with the plague. And so this is their way. Man, what a mess. When you don't know the true and living God, ways you try to approach God. But isn't it, is there anything, today, I think of things that are just as crazy. People crawling on their knees up high hills to try to reach God. People arranging their furniture to get positive stuff in their house so they can have the positive chi, whatever that is. All these things that people do to try to come before God when, guys, we don't come before Him through our efforts. He reached down to us through His Son on the cross. Amen? No, there's no other path. There's no other way. There's no other hope. And as foolish as this sounds, so, so too are all the other ways that people try to come to Almighty God today. Now look what it says. On this part is good. Then it says, Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land, and you shall give glory to the God of Israel. You shall give glory to the God of Israel. Now, this is the first thing they've said that makes any sense. They absolutely should do that. By acknowledging His judgment upon them, His power over them. And while this seems on the right road to repentance, the true motivation comes again in the rest of the verse. Give glory to God of Israel, verse 5, perhaps He will lighten His hand from you and from your gods and from your land. See again. Give glory to God so He'll give you something back. Not give glory to God because He's worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, and to be honored. Not because He deserves it. Not because He's worthy of it, but because if we give it to Him, maybe we can get something back. And again, they try to overcome their sin their own way. Attempt to rid themselves of the symptoms when they should have been treating the disease. Guys, the disease we have is called sin. And that's what needs to be rid from our lives. And that can only happen when we're born again, filled with the Spirit of the living God, and we fall before Him. It's not ridding the behavior in hopes of being pleasable before God. It's coming before God, and He'll rid us of the behavior. That's the outpouring of His work in our lives. The real need for man today is not a change of behavior, but repentance before God. So the Philistines gold-plate their symptoms. They offer them back to God in hope that they'll get physical relief when they should have... You know what they should have been doing? tearing their temples down that's what they should have been doing they should have said Dagon fell over let's take his temples out too and by the way we hear the tabernacle in Shiloh was destroyed let's put one up here let's call the priest down here and let's start worshiping the true and living God that's repentance but that's not what's happening sadly verse 6 why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts you know what's amazing These priests not only knew the Old Testament law, they knew the Old Testament history. They knew about trespass offerings, and they knew about Pharaoh hardening his heart, and yet what are they doing with the ark? The exact same thing. Instead of repenting, they are hardening their hearts. These pagan prophets knew the Old Testament. They knew the Word. They'd even learned some lessons from it. The Word of God was a, a history book to them, but it really is far more than that. And so these prophets are quoting Scripture, yet their own hearts are hardened and they're lost. This is a warning to, to all of us. The world knows a lot more about the Bible than you think. I believe that to be true. Mo- especially in this country. And you know what else? Let me say this. Side note for a moment. The people that work with you or live in your neighborhood or your family and friends who know you're a Christian know more about the way you're supposed to live than they probably will even let on, and they're watching to see if you live that life. And when you're and if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and this is the biggest ouch just about you can ever get, is to have an unbeliever come up to you and say, I thought you were a Christian. Don't that hurts. That hurts big time. What are you doing here? I thought you were a Christian. world knows what you should and shouldn't be doing. If you blow your temper, foul words start flying out of your mouth, you get caught stealing, you show up in the wrong place. Hey, I thought you were a Christian. Even sadder is if your life reflects Christ so little. And this happened to a co-worker friend of mine. I'll never forget it. Rings in my ears. I'll never forget it. He turned, 
I was sitting in my cubicle, and when I was still working full-time, he turned to the artist. They were talking about something. He told about 10 salespeople that he was a Christian. Everybody laughed so hard that half of them, and I'm not exaggerating, literally fell on the floor laughing. You're a Christian? Bah! And they all fell down. And I'm looking at the poor guy thinking, wow, that's not a wake-up call. You know, when people find out we're a Christian, again, not that we're perfect. We're sinners saved by grace. But we ought to be reflecting our Savior. Amen? People ought to see Jesus in us. And the Lord keeps us from hardened hearts, again, as we're walking with Him. But these guys' hearts are hard. And He's telling them, why are you hardening your hearts? Amazingly, they knew the Word of God. But you and I need to allow God to till up the soil of a hard heart in our lives. Look what it says there. When He did mighty things among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart I mean, here these priests are saying, look, he did, they're reminding them of the plagues in, Israel, uh, plagues in Egypt. Now, the plagues in Egypt were a lot worse than the plagues that the Philistines had suffered. And they're saying, look, you know what? We don't let the art go. The plagues might just get worse. So we might want to just let it go. So they knew enough about the Word of God to be able to point them to the truth, but not to walk in it. And we need to make sure that our relationship with God goes deeper than that. Now look what it says. Now therefore, therefore make a new cart. Here's a mistake. Take two milk cows which have never been yoked and hitch the cows to a cart. Take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it on the cart and put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by its side. Then send it away and let it go. The number three thing we do when we have a physical perspective is we don't trust God, but we test Him. And so now they know the plague has come. They believe it's probably God, but really what they're doing here is testing God. And here's how they're doing it. They're getting two cows that have never been yoked together. Now, if you take a cow that's never been in a yoke and you put it in a yoke, the cow is going to fight the yoke and want nothing to do with it. You want to make things even worse? Take the cow, put it in a yoke, and put a cart behind it with a heavy ark on it. And it's going to fight the yoke. Want to make it even worse? Take its baby calves and take them in the opposite direction and point the cows this way and expect the cows not to turn around and go back after their children. You know what they're doing? They're setting up God to fail. What they're saying is now, if God God is really God, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make a test. And here's how we're going to make the test. We're going to make it almost impossible. And if God's really God, then He'll make the cows go outside of, of their instincts and go and just carry the thing in a place where they've never been before, not even knowing what direction it's in, and take the ark right back where it belongs. That's the way we'll test God. By the way, you know what? We should not test God. Amen? I've had people test God and he answers, because God will do that. But you know what? We don't need to test God. We need to trust God. But you know what? They're going to test God. And God, because of his grace, I believe, toward Israel, is going to do exactly what they're looking for him to do. Not because he wants to prove himself to the Philistines, but because of his grace toward the children of Israel. So, they did exactly as he said. They took the ark of the Lord, they set it on a cart. Now remember, the ark was only supposed to be carried one way. Who remembers how? By the golden poles. But they put it on the ark, and God's going to amazingly show them some grace in this area. You know, they know a little bit of the word, but not enough. So they take it, and they put it on this cart. Now, you're going to see later in 2 Samuel where they put the ark on a cart, and it starts to fall over, and what happens? A guy by the name of... Uzzah reaches out and touches the ark to keep it from falling. What happens? He gets struck down dead. God's pretty serious about his ark. Touch not the glory. Amen? And so these guys throw it on a cart. Again, they're touching it. They've got the the consequences of their sin, but he's showing them some grace. They have it all set up, and it seems like this would fail for sure. Because again, the cow, in its natural instinct, is going to fight off the yoke. And at the very least, when they take the little babies away, the maternal instinct of the cow is going to run, want to run and go back and get that little calf and feed it and care for it. The only two characters in this entire chapter to do anything right are the two cows. You know why? Because the cows know God is God and the Philistines don't. Amen? Did you know that? Cows know. God created them, right? They know. Watch. Let's see, verse 
Let's look at the next verse. Look at verse 9. And watch, it goes up the road into its own territory to Beth Shemesh. Then he has done us a great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that struck us. It happened by chance. So here's the test. We're going to set everything up, and if the cows just by themselves, without anybody leading them, go down the road, by the way, about 10 miles from Be- to Beth Shemesh from Ekron, and they just find their own way, and they don't go back after their calves, and they don't fight off the yoke, then we'll know God's God. But if he doesn't, then we'll know it was just by chance that we got the, gold, that we got the hemorrhoids. Guys, let me make it real clear. There's no such thing as chance. Did you know that? Chance is only one thing. It predicts the probability of something happening, but chance has no power over anything. Well, is it by chance? I flip a coin, it's a 50-50 chance. Well, the way you flip the coin has nothing to do with chance of it landing heads or tails. It has to do with how hard you flipped it and the wind in the air and what hits on the ground. It's not chance at all. And here's the point. God's in control even of that. He's in control of everything. Now, we don't flip. God, what do you think? Yes or no? Heads is yes. Don't test God that way, amen? Read your Bible. And God will give you clear direction and instruction. So, they take the chest, and they're smart enough, they've got the thing all set up, and they take the chest, and they are smart enough not to open the ark and put the golden hemorrhoids and rats inside. They're smart enough to say, well, let's just put that next to it. Now, the Israelites could learn something from this, as we're going to see at the end of the chapter. So, they've got some knowledge, they put the ark, and they say, well, just by chance, by the way, again, we need to remember, nothing happens by chance. Our God, indeed, is in control. So, they're waiting, they're going to watch, they're going to put the, the, the cows to test, and they're going to find out if God is really God or not. By the way, if God had not allowed the cows, if the cows just stood there and didn't move, would God still be God? What's the answer? Yes. That's why we don't put God to a test. He may not choose to answer us that way. But you know what? He's going to answer these guys. And again, I believe motivated more out of his love for Israel and a desire to bring the ark back to them than answering any questions the Philistines may have. Now, guys, we don't need to put God to any tests. Why? Because God's already proven himself to be God. Guys, people don't believe in God in spite of the evidence. You look out at the stars, that's not by chance. God put everything into the sky. I took anatomy in college. I was blown away by the human body. That did not happen because lightning hit a puddle. Amen? God created us in His image, and we are so incredibly complex. It's unbelievable. And it's all proof that God indeed is God. Chance is not the cause of you sitting here today. God is. Amen? So chance is not something we put our faith in or that we even believe in. So God doesn't ignore their test, though He could have. So number four, in physical relief or spiritual restoration, what happens when you look at life from a physical perspective rather than a spiritual one? We refuse to believe even after God supernaturally proves Himself. Look at t- verse 10. Then the men did so. What did they do? They, got, they yoked up the cows, they set them out, they put the cart behind them, and then they dragged their calves away in the opposite direction. And they left them there to watch and see what would happen. It says they took the milk cows, hitched them to the cart, shut up their calves at home. And they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with the gold rats and the images of their tumors. God can hardly wait to get that. He's just really waiting. He's just excited about getting the golden hemorrhoids. He can hardly wait. Unbelievable. Now, verse 12. And the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh. You know what God did? He overruled their instinct. And you know what? God can do the same thing with you. Amen? He can overrule your natural desires and your natural will and your natural lust if you will instead turn and give your life to Him. These cows, their natural instinct would have been to run back to the calves, to kick off the yoke, but instead they were led by God, and they followed Him obediently. It says there, the rest of that verse, and they went along the highway, lowing as they went. Now what's interesting, it says they went lowing. That means that they weren't real happy. It means that there was, you know, some grief or heartache on the part of the cows. They were lowing as they went, probably for their calves, 
But you know what I love about this? Even in the midst of a time when things were difficult, they still obeyed God. Man, we can learn some stuff from these cows. Amen? In times of difficulty, they still obeyed God. And in times of difficulty, may we continue to obey God. You know, it's interesting. It says there, after that, they did not turn aside to the right or to the left. You know what? They didn't even stop and eat. They, God sent them in a direction and they went their full force and didn't slow down. Didn't look back to the calves. Did not turn to the right. Did not turn to the left. Went straight in the direction God had called them to go. Again, nobody outside of a few people in Israel, Samuel, and maybe a few others were serving God at the time. So if there's no people available who will walk in obedience, God will use a cow or a donkey. Right? God had a talking donkey. That didn't start in Shrek, man. That happened in the Bible. God had a talking donkey turn around and told Balaam, there's an angel up here. You might want to just slow down, pal, because he's going to kill us. And the amazing part is that Balaam answered him back. Amazing. You're talking back to a donkey, you know. I'm thinking repentance right about now. Donkey's talking, time to get right with God. But here's the thing. The cow is going in the right direction. The cow is the only one. The Philistines didn't get it, but the cow did. God led the cow in the right direction, and the cow went. Sometimes we need to stop thinking with our human mind and start trusting God completely. And again, we need to come to a place where we realize that God in us is greater than the person and the flesh that we were born into. Now look what it says there. They did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. So the lords of the Philistines followed to make sure that, they, that it went. So they were gonna be, there's going to be a testimony to them if it actually went the whole way. The fact that they started going should have been enough for them to repent. But they're going to follow at a distance, and really, they're really following because they're hoping the hemorrhoids go with them. They just want to get them out of here and take that ark out of here. It's been nothing but trouble since they got here. Just get it out of town. And what they should have been doing instead is looking to see God's hand at work. They were fulfilling God's plan. And God was using even cows. Our God can do that. You know what? Sometimes we don't understand God's goal for our life. We don't understand the direction God's sending us in. But we need to learn to trust Him anyway. We need to learn not to turn to the right or to the left. Not want to wander back home. But say, God, you're leading me this way. Let me trust in you. When people don't believe that there's a loving God who sits enthroned in the heavens, who has good plans for their lives... You can't blame them for being afraid or being proud or being miserable. But those of us who believe in God, there is no excuse for fear or pride or misery because God is on the throne. We saw this on Sunday. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. When people don't know God and they act like they don't know God, we shouldn't be surprised. But as Christians, we ought to be different. Look at verse 13. So the cows headed off in that direction. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. It's come ten miles away. The ark's been gone for seven months. They probably thought we will never see it again. Again, I said the analogy I used last week, and it's the best one I have maybe, was that imagine if there's only one Bible and someone took it. For them, there was no more sacrifice. For them, there was no more glory of God dwelling among them. For them, there, there was no other way to make that atoning sacrifice once a year. The, the feast, everything had come to an end because they no longer had the ark. And now, here comes the ark and they're going to rejoice. Now, they're going to rejoice when they see it. But we're going to find out that if they continue to mishandle the ark, it's not going to go well. They wanted... If they wanted to get right with God, here was their chance. The ark was coming back. And you know what? God, there was a God that was coming back into their camp that would lead them back where they needed to be. And the, sadly, the Philistines were trying to get rid of the, the only God that could have transformed their life, the only true and living God. Now, Beth Shemesh, it means house of the sun. The entire city's out there in their fields harvesting. It means it was May or June. They look up and they see the ark coming. They begin to rejoice together. And again, it had been lost due to their own sin, but now coming back because of God's grace. 
It had been removed because of sin. It's coming back because of God's grace. They're rejoicing to see it. But how are they going to handle it? Last point. What happens when we look at life from a physical perspective rather than from a spiritual one? We act contrary to God's clear commands. Let's take a look and, we'll, and see what happens. Last verses here. Then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. Transliterated, it also is the same name as Jesus. And so in Beth Shemesh, here coming into the field comes the ark. An, 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 again, a great opportunity for restoration. God's sovereign hand. Look what it says here. And I love this part. Then the cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stood there. Man, I like this. They went 10 miles, they got to a spot, and they stopped. You know, God tells us to go, and He tells us when to stop. Amen? And the cows were listening. Unfortunately, nobody else in the chapter is. And the cows are going to give their all in service to God. Look what it says. And stood there. A large stone was there. So they split the wood of the cart and offered the cows as burnt offerings to the Lord. They probably should have kept the cows around for a while to get some direction. Amen? But no, seriously, this start looks like they're starting off the right way. God has brought the ark back and they want to make a sacrifice unto the Lord of prayer and worship. A true sin offering, a true burnt offering of restoration with the Lord by sacrificing the animal to God. The cow is the best example in the whole story. They left their own. They faithfully served, though it wasn't easy. They didn't turn to the right or the left, and they died that God's glory would come to God's people. Man, I hope I have as good a testimony as these cows. So the children of Israel make the right sacrifice. They're not offering golden tumors. They made a blood sacrifice. They did it on a large stone. We know that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now look at verse 15. Then the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was with it, in which the articles of gold, and put them on the large stone. So again, the Levites are handling it. Beth Shemesh was a city of Levites. So these were the right people for the ark to come to. They knew how to handle it. Now at this point, they took the ark down. We don't know if they used the poles or not, or they put them back in. We're not sure. Hopefully they did. And so far, so good. But at that point, they should have covered it up. That should have been it. Should have covered it up. But sadly, they don't do what's right. So far, so good, but it's not going to last. Then the men of Beshemesh offered burnt offerings and made offerings the same day to the Lord. So they took the articles of gold that were put into it, they took it all out, and they made the sacrifices on that same day to the Lord. So far, so good. Verse 16. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron in the same day. Now wait a minute. God brings it, they follow it, they see that God did exactly what He said He was going to do, they followed it from afar, He gets to where it's supposed to be, they've tested God, God proves Himself to be God, and they went home to their old pagan God. God proves Himself to be God and they don't repent. They go back to their own pagan God, just like so many people do today, when proof that God is indeed God is all around us, and yet people don't want to follow God because it means I have to get off the throne of my own life. I want to go back to my old pagan lifestyle and live the way I want to and have no one to be accountable to. And that's what the Philistines did. They turned back to the God they'd have to prop up. Last few verses. Now look what it says. These are the golden tumors which the Philistine returned as a trespass offering to the Lord. One for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden rats, according to the number for all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both certified cities, country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. So they gave these sacrifices to God, one for each of the cities of the Philistines. Now, here's where Israel and these men go Far wrong. Look what it says. Then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. These guys were Levites. Were they supposed to be looking inside the ark? You know, only the high priest was even to see the ark. When the ark came, the first thing he should have done is covered it up and then said, where is the tabernacle now? Let's take it there and that's where it belongs. 
Instead, they might have even, in their mind, had the right motives. We've got to make sure the Philistines didn't take this stuff out of the inside of the ark. So let's open it up and see. Whoever's bright idea that was, it didn't work out too well. Because God had clear commands for them, and He holds them to a higher level of accountability than He does even the Philistines. So they open up the ark. What's inside the ark? What's in the ark? Three things. What? Manna? Aaron's rod? Ten commandments. Okay? Now, remember, the law is in the ark. The law is covered by the mercy seat because the law reveals our sin. And if we look directly at the law, we're done. But praise God that though the law reveals our sin, it is covered by God's mercy. That's why they were never to take the cover off because they were removing the mercy of God and looking straight into the law. And the result for that is always death. Now look what it says, the rest of that verse. He struck 50,000 and 70 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. When we go our way instead of God's way, the end is never good. Now, I will say this, just so you know. According to Josephus and some of the early writers, they believe the best translation of this is of the 50,000, 70 men were killed. I don't know which one's true, but in either case, a bunch of people died because they opened, up the, they opened up the ark and looked into it. Now, again, notice how quickly God's blessing became God's judgment. Why? Because they stopped putting their faith in God. They stopped walking in obedience to God, and they started trying to serve God their own way. And the result was death. Last two verses. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this Holy Lord God. Having offended the holiness of God, having reaped the consequences of God, they wondered who in the world could stand before Him. When men encounter the holiness of God, they're not necessarily attracted to it. When Peter saw the holy power of Jesus, he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In the presence of God's holiness, there is fear. But the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. When Peter, James, and John went up at the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Jesus glorified, and the Bible tells us they were greatly afraid. In Psalm 96, it says, Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. We can only stand before Him as we share in His holiness. How do we do that? By giving up smoking. No. How do we, give a, how do, how do we walk in holiness? We walk in Him. Amen? Only He is holy, and the only way you can be holy is if you're walking in Christ. Sadly, the men of Beth Shemesh, once rejoicing over the return of the ark, now, like the Philistines, want no part of it. Just that quick. Rejoicing in it, consequences of their sinful behavior, not God's fault. Instead of being broken and repentant, they want to send it away. Who can we give this problem to so that we don't have to no longer deal with God in our borders and, and Him putting this heavy burden on us. They're looking for physical relief, not spiritual restoration. Last verse. So they sent the messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim, saying, the Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come back and take it up with you. This is not much different than the Philistines passing the ark from city to city. Instead of being blessed by God's glory being in their midst, they want to pass it on because they know that their sinful behavior is going to continue to bring consequences instead of trying to get right with God. You know what ends up happening? The ark goes up to Kirjath-Jerim. Eleazar is the priest who oversees the, the sacrifices, and it stays there for 70 years, and the people of that city are greatly blessed. Why did they miss out on the blessing? Because they saw the consequences of their sin, and rather than repenting, they just wanted to rid themselves of the thing that brought about the consequences. So in closing, physical relief or spiritual restoration. What happens when we look at life from a physical perspective rather than a spiritual one? Number one, we desire to rid ourselves of the very one who can save us. Number two, we seek not restoration and redemption for sin, but a removal of its consequences. Number three, we test God instead of trusting Him. 
Number four, we refuse to believe even after God supernaturally proves Himself. And number five, when we act according to our own flesh, we act contrary to God's clear commands. You know what? Can I encourage you if you're here tonight that God desires that we walk in holiness and He's never going to call us to do something we can't do. He said, be holy for I am holy. So can we be holy? What's the answer? Yes, we can. So how do we do that? It's not by us trying harder, but it's by us dying to ourselves and giving our lives completely to Him. Let's not be pursuing physical comfort, but instead spiritual restoration. God, do a radical work in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for even the examples that we see in in chapters where the consequences on sin are heavy. May it serve as a warning to all of us. Lord, I pray that we would be, our bodies would be as temples of your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, we would radiate your glory, that we would point others to you as they would see you alive in us. And Father, I pray our passion would not be for the things of this world, but for the things above. Lord, that we would not be, our prayer life would not be consumed with you giving us more of this earth, but Lord, you having a greater impact on it and us being tools in the hands of our Master. So Lord, we love you and we praise you and help us, Lord, to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,